0: CFB. First of all, apologies to any of you who are tuning in, hoping to hear the dulcet tones of my good friend Callum McFadden. The point is that we're doing a special tonight and Callum's asked me if I would come in and conduct an interview with a man we call the Voice of Football. My name is Jeremy Dade. I've worked with Callum for quite a few games at Morton and done a few things with him, podcast as well. But tonight really is something quite special for us. I'm going to introduce you to the Voice of Football. This is the man who covered everything in his commentating career right from the early 60s through to the 21st century. If you're watching domestic football, European football and, importantly, international football, all in a Scottish vein, you will be familiar with his dulcet tones and the authority and intelligence he brought to his commentaries as well. In addition to being a noted commentator, he's also a very much respected author. His books include Adventures in the Golden Age, Scotland in the World Cup Finals, Undefeated, A Life and Times of Jimmy Johnson, and what I and many others consider to be the definite work on Jockstein the biography. He is the one and only Mr Archie McPherson. Archie how are you?
1: Very well thank you, very well. <clears throat> we're looking forward uh, to it.
0: I'm looking forward to it as well. Now I should say that the reason you're here tonight um, is that we're going to discuss your new book which I have in my hands here, yes. More Than A Game. It's just come yep. out in the math press. This is on first glance at it, a book about, first of all, the 1980 riot at the Scottish Cup final, just after the Scottish Cup final, but actually so much more than that. And a bit of a departure for you, in a sense. Um, I'd ask you, first of all, where did the inspiration come for the book?
1: Well, I think the game itself. um, I mean, every 10th, 20th, 30th anniversary of this game, The press have come to me and asked me for my comments on it. Way back, the 10th anniversary, I can remember them queuing up to ask me about the game, the 20th, 30th, and so on. So it's always been in the back of my mind to expand simply on the day itself and the consequences of the day and some of the issues which underpinned uh, the rivalry and, and indeed, quite frankly, the hatred that emerges from these pictures, and and particularly on that uh, 10th of May, Day, 1980. Um, So so it it kind of lucked in the back of the mind. And then uh, once you get in the habit, this is my ninth book. And I have to say, Gerry, I might be going for 10 in a row, but... uh, (laughs) I don't know if you're allowed to say that, aren't you? That's a kind of, yeah, exactly. That's a kind of fashionable thing to say. Largely because once you, and you know it yourself, you've written books, good books. Once you get into the habit of writing a book, when you stop writing, you feel this kind of vacuum where you want to fill your life with all the things that you've just been doing because when you write a book, as you know and some of the others might not know listening to this, you cram in a lot of work, a lot of detail, a lot of research for the kind of books that I write in any case, to get your facts right, if you can, and sometimes you don't quite manage that. So there's an enormous amount of fastidious detail that you've got to go into to make the book readable and worthwhile. So because of that, you're suddenly left bereft, and uh, you 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 want to fill that vacuum, and one of the ways of doing it is writing another book. So there's a kind of chain reaction that takes place. I once said to somebody, I think uh, wistfully, when they asked me why did I write these books, and I said, uh, as I say wistfully, what else is there to do in a Scottish winter? <laughs> uh, and actually there's some something of a, a truth in that. Mm. It just happens to be, that's the way I've passed the time uh, through the many years. I was never going to, I always wanted to write, but not necessarily football books. Mm-hmm. Then one day the BBC came to me and uh, asked me, commissioned me to write a book about the old firm. Uh, a, a kind of history of the, the post-war old firm. I picked out yeah. the elements. And in this book, I've gone back over some of that territory, refreshed mm-hmm. with new mm-hmm. details and so on. So, um, and that started, that was the beginning of the chain reaction. Uh-huh. Once you've written one book, you, you get onto another. Now, in this specific instance, um, I thought you can't write about one day alone. Yeah, that One day has to be the basis, a platform, if you like, or a template upon which you build other instances. And I knew right at the outset it was going to be difficult. To do that. Yeah. That is to be able to jump from May 10th 1980 to Lisbon to Barcelona to the Ibrox disaster mm-hmm. uh, to the other uh, elements that happened in the background political and social and so on. And that's what I've attempted to do in, in the book mm-hmm. which gave me the problem of how smoothly you can segue You can move from that particular game on to the other issues.
0: And that was a struggle, I have to admit. If you don't mind me saying, having read the book, and I read it immediately, two to three days, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, Your segues are are phenomenal. Um, There's a lot I want to talk to you about the book. Just before we we crack on a wee bit further, there will be people tuning into this who don't know the specifics of what we're talking about. And what we're talking about is the Scottish Cup final, 10th of May, between Celtic and Rangers, and the aftermath of that, where it became known as the Scottish Cup Final riot. Celtic won the cup uh, with a late George McCluskey goal in extra time. You were the commentator. I have to say that I'm old enough to remember sitting on the, the television watching that. You couldn't get a ticket for a game like that, but watching it on television. And the the, the images that remain with me from the day are your your commentary uh, at the end, given you know talking about uh, apocalypse now. And, you know, really summing it up in a way that almost went off, off stream um, in terms of what the BBC would want. You know, I'd never heard anyone on television say, let's be honest, these supporters hate each other. It was such a, it was a seminal moment. And I think you've captured that in the book. But that, that was clearly what was going through your head at that particular time.
1: Yeah, well, I said in the book when the riot started and I had to adjust. The whole idea of commentary. I, as I said to somebody else, I came armed with the normal cliches. And here I was being put into a different kind of setting, looking for new cliches, if you like to put it that way. I, I think I described it as the battle went on underneath me. Now, I had been prepared with all my stats and everything else for a football match. Yeah. Then suddenly we had bottles being huddled from one end of the park to the other and so on and I felt it was a bit like a man who's being uh, asked to play the bassoon in a symphony orchestra and suddenly the conductor says no you're playing first violin. I mean <laughs> the, the huge change you had to make in mood, tempo uh, and everything else. Now what I'm about to say, I, I have to be honest with you, um, and I think I'm honest about it in the book as well, although it could easily be misinterpreted. I think, to be perfectly honest, I enjoyed the riot better than the game. <laughs> well, the game was, well, the game was obviously the Celtic supporters loved yeah. this, winning a cup final against their own uh, enemies and, and, and so on. But as a commentator, looking at the game, it wasn't a brilliant game. The fact that it went to extra time And the weather came from a deflected goal, as you you remember, Mm -hmm. um, uh, sending Peter McLeod in the wrong direction, which summed up the day, as it were. You know, in many ways, it was a neutral um, battle of attrition. Um, And I I I think, in a sense, Celtic had to be very careful in that game because they went in with a rearranged team. They had injuries. And Conroy... Played at centre half. I think yes. it was, I can't remember who was. I think it was it wasn't Roy Aiken played in that game.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but in any case, they had to readjust. Tom McAdam was it? Yeah, I think, I think, they, I think McAdam.
0: I think McAdam, McDonald were out, and Conroy had to play as you
1: say. At I mean, the centre so then Celtic were very cautious in that game in many instances. But of course, they got the winning goal. So it, it wasn't a memorable game as such. There are other, in fact, if you read the book. The players themselves, Roy Aiken, Davey Proven, Gordon Smith, Derrick Johnson, and particularly Roy Aiken, he can't remember much about the game. Mm-hmm. When I asked him about this and that, he said, I'll be honest with you, I can remember other cup finals vividly. Mm-hmm. He said, I can't remember too much about that. And I think maybe psychologically, so much attention was. Put on the riot, Yes, that, they, they were swept along with that. Mm-hmm. Although, I, I, again, I have to admit, as Davy Progan does uh, in the book, he went down to the Celtic end, of course, to celebrate, came back and went into the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Davy didn't know anything about a riot or anything until he got back home and mm-hmm. turned on the news at night, nine o'clock news.
0: It's impossible to believe.
1: Because. He took the players off the field mm-hmm. uh, and then he just went and got ready. And, went, and Roy Aiken can't remember too much about that either. Derek Johnson says he did see something because he had been delayed for some reason. Mm-hmm. I think maybe because it was a Celtic crowd outside waiting to greet the heroes and maybe the Rangers players were all up to come out of that. Stage. But he did go up the presentation area stairs and looked out and saw a bit of it. And actually, he said at one stage, he thought they were coming across the pitch, maybe to go down the tunnel, even.
0: Right.
1: Uh, and uh, he turned back on that. So here we had the contrast between a spectacular battle and really a drabbish cup final. If you don't take the result into account, mm-hmm. in a drabbish cup final.
0: I wonder if I can put it to you. I know you, you do kind of partly discuss that in the book. I want to talk about the, the ramifications a few years down the line as well. But getting into that game, of course, Celtic had just blown the league uh, to Aberdeen. Aberdeen had won yeah. the league for the times since 1955. Uh, yeah. Rangers hadn't won a trophy that season. I think the D United had taken the League Cup. So you had a situation there where both teams were going to end a trophyless season. Do you think yeah. that was part of the reason, A, for the tension and B, the fact, the game was so, so drab because people, were, maybe the players were too frightened to lose the game rather than win the cup.
1: Yeah, uh, the fear of losing is, is one of the, the, the big factors in the game. I don't know whether you can yeah. see a photograph from the book, and I'm trying to get it for you. Is Billy McNeil at the bottom there? Yes. At the bottom there?
0: Uh-huh. Okay. To the left, yep. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's a triumphant manager. Mm. But David Proven admits to me he wasn't really as exultant as he normally would be. And I think you can see it in that photograph there. Mm. Because they had lost the league. Mm-hmm. You not only lost the league, they blew it. Yes. They blew a lead, And Aberdeen had won it, of course. And uh, so the couple, yes, he would love to beat Rangers on any occasion. But he said he really... That league defeat, that... The championship being taken away from them really affected them. Mm. So, I and, 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 and as for Rangers, Rangers had been beaten by St. Mirren, 4-1, I think it was, just a few days before yes. that, which, which um, emphasized the state that they were in. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were facing uh, not only the, the a barren season, Mm-hmm. But it would be out of Europe for the first time in years, not yes. having qualified. So it was a big, big uh, game for these uh-huh. two men individually. Also, as I, as I tried to indicate, Jock Steen's legacy was at stake. Yes. Because when Billy McNeil went to Celtic, there are many people obviously welcome, hugely welcome, one of the great players in world football, not just uh, Scottish football. But who could replace Steen? Yes, I mean a lot. Many people thought Steen was irreplaceable. He had gone and and won the European Cup, first British team to do that. He was, in, in my estimation, even yet, uh, certainly one of the greats uh, of all time in world football. Mm-hmm. So even though Billy McNeil was a hero, it. Enormous shoes he was—he was going to have to fill. Yes. So this was—he would blown the league. So the back of his mind was he had to get something here. So there he were two managers, almost in a personal duel in that level. Uh huh. And particularly scared of losing. But in all old firm games, that's a big factor. Yeah. You lose, you let your your community down. Your identity down. An enormous fact.
0: How shocked were you then at the aftermath? Because I put it to you, you, you've been in the broadcasting game for almost maybe 20 odd years by that point. You'd covered many Celtic Rangers game. How shocked were you at what had happened in the aftermath? Well, it, it
1: initially surprised. Then this feeling of my God, what's going to happen? I'm not sure if the word shock would be there, but my God's. Will. Mm-hmm. And then a realization. That there was a look of destiny about it, right? I mean, I had been brought up in the east end of Glasgow, and I knew all about the rivalry and so on. Mm-hmm. And I knew there could be fights. And in fact, um, my book starts on a uh, a personal fight that I saw on a bus. Yes, that, w- that wakened my eyes to the undercurrent of real bitterness.
0: And this is when you were just a, a
1: young a child. Book. Yeah, I was about. 14, 15, something like that, uh-huh. and it had come after a, a famous game at Ibrooks when two players, Sammy Cox and Charles Patrick Tully, uh-huh. got involved in an incident which was very controversial, and and these men in that bus were fighting about that, which suddenly in my eyes, because normally where I was brought up, there was rivalry, but it was benign rivalry, good uh-huh. nature. Um, yeah, one or two hotheads about, of course. Yeah, And that was the first instance I saw of, that, of really something really bitter surfacing. And um, so in that sense, uh, I was actually saying this had to happen sometime.
0: Right. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, I thought the segues, as I said, I thought they worked really, really well in the book. It's really interesting to go from the Cox Tully thing through Lisbon through Barcelona and keep returning to the plot, but I don't want to give you know the game away too much about the book um, yeah. but there are a couple of things that that I that thought really appealed to me, and one was the way you managed to personalize it with the stories of first of all the photographer Eric Craig and of course um, the mounted policewoman Elaine Moody. Yeah. Um yeah. these these people came alive to me in the book in, in a way I really wasn't expecting it be quite honest with you and i really delighted in it I thought it was an excellent part of the book and really informative particularly with uh, in essence to what happened to Eric Craig the photographer
1: yeah well um, I have a, a researcher called Pat Woods he's researched virtually all of my books yes he's writing histories of Celtic and so on as well and um, he and I had a discussion about this This is a book about a famous fixture, Mm -hmm. an infamous day, all the issues that emerged from it with the police, ambulance men, injuries, but essentially some of the sectarianism that lay at the root of it. And Pat felt at one stage, am I veering away from this a wee bit too much by concentrating on two heroes are, a hero and a heroine. Mm. But then I felt there had to be a contrast put in. And in any case, they were affected by that day more, most dramatically in different yes. ways than anybody else. So I thought I would pursue that story. And of course, the irony for Eric Craig, having been in the middle of a sectarian pitch battle, mm-hmm. he ends up in Belfast for his treatment. Yeah. From which emerges a lot of the hatreds, yeah. And so I thought I've got to pursue this and see what yes. actually happens. Now. And as for the the lady, she was a a symbol of a resurgent feminism, because people I remember a, a lady at the BBC I think I've got it in the book that uh, said to me, "What the hell is she doing on horseback in the middle of a a, a, a riot?" Mm. And yes, that was a thought that went through me. What's a woman doing there? Now this is 1980. Yes, remember.
0: Not exactly the dark ages.
1: No, no, but exactly. And in that sense, woman simply didn't do certain things. Mm. So she was a kind of trail. She always uh, denies this, of course. She's a very modest lady. Mm. She denies the fact that she was a trailblazer, but in fact she was because she encouraged other women to say, right, maybe let's Mm -hmm. join the police. And in fact, that's what happened. They got a lot more women to come in and especially women Mm -hmm. who wanted to uh, get to the mounted police because of the glamour, maybe.
0: Yeah, I I think the image of her, you know, she wasn't just on a horse. She was on the only white horse. Now, you know, they always talked about that, I think, in the 1923 FA Cup final West Ham and Bolton. Yep,
1: yep. Like the
0: white horse that came out, etc. And that seemed to me, even on the day, to be very symbolic. That no one yeah. would ever forget that the, the, the symbol of the horse and, and the girl on it as well, you know, standing yes. against this crowd. Heroic, as you say. Um, without giving too much away, it's it's got Hollywood written all over it, yes. sense, You know. Um, but that, I really, really enjoyed that because you brought out you personalised it. You took it out of you know the, the, the simple the football situation. What I'd like to go on to now is something that I'd never really considered, but you, you made the change so perfectly that the, that day, that game, that result, really was the, were the seeds that were to sow, Graham Sunnis, to Rangers, mm-hmm. the New Rangers, the new Celtic, and in essence, gives us the setup and the, the game that we have today. Yeah, exactly. Well,
1: if you look through the logic of this, Jerry, John Gregg was, a, a, rightly, a very famous, almost iconic figure at Eyebrooks. Uh, I, I mean, I've got quotes, favourable quotes from Billy McNeil about John and so on, which people can read. Yeah. He, he, he kept Rangers going when they were going through their very bad spells um, as a player. Um you could almost say it at times that Rangers were a one-man team. I mean, he was he was so inspirational for Rangers. Yeah. Um, and here he was in, in uh, a managerial role, and he was beginning to lead to some disenchantment. Mm-hmm. And this was a big game for him. He'd won nothing that season, and here he was failing. Mm-hmm. Now That set, he was then, I'm not saying on a slippery slope, Mm -hmm. but he was in a gentle incline away from that kind of player status that he had. He wasn't getting the results that the Rangers supporters wanted. And disenchantment did set in. And it started that day, immediately after that day. Because remember, Celtic had played that game with a depleted side. Yes. Rangers went in as favourites to win that game, and they didn't. So disenchantment set in, and it it didn't happen immediately, of course, but it set the ball rolling for a change that eventually uh, uh, enveloped Ibrox. Now, Celtic and Rangers exist on cause and reaction, action and reaction as Rangers developed into a new and much more modern club with a building of a modern stadium, which at one time was the best stadium, one of the best stadiums in Europe. And Celtic were holding clinging on to Parkhead as it was in that days, which was shabby, big, but shabby compared to Iber. And they started to, to, to think, no, it's, it's something really must happen here. And then Celtic, as you probably know, without going over that, Territory in any great detail, um, got into financial trouble. And along came uh, Mr. McCann, saved Celtic. And that all came from the fact that Rangers, getting rid of Waddle eventually, uh, getting rid of uh, John Gregory, brought in a, a new generation, new thinkers, which eventually led to David Murray. Um, because of the slight disenchantment that began to creep into Rangers as well and which eventually some nine years later would lead to Fergus McCann. So there was um, a chain reaction again there because of what had happened at at Hampden that very day.
0: I found that fascinating actually because I've never really thought about that as being the situation that in essence what you've been saying is had Rangers won the cup that day. Yeah, absolutely. If, if there's a, a real distinct possibility that the as Revolution would, would not have happened. Exactly. Rangers, that's it, it a
1: paradox. Comes... That's a paradox, Jerry, because Rangers would have continued their old ways.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it, I'm not sure how Celtic would have uh, been able to negate that. They, they, mm-hmm. they would just have carried on the same. There would have been no new, real new thinking. Uh-huh. Um, it's 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 intriguing, but uh, there's no doubt about it. The result that day brought change to both Ibrox and Celtic Park.
0: Really interesting. In the background to that as well, of course, or they would argue it wasn't the background, the, the arrival of, obviously, Alex Ferguson and Jim McLean to a certain extent as yeah. well, and what Aberdeen and the United were doing in yeah. the first half of the 1980s. That, that was a huge foul and pressure that they'd have been on the two Glasgow sites.
1: Yeah, say that one again, Jerry.
0: It, the, the fact that Alex Ferguson was doing so well with Aberdeen, right off the scale, yeah. the fact that United had gone to a European Cup semi-final, which we now know they were actually cheated out of. So they yeah. could have gone to the European Cup final. They were to go to the, the, I think it was the UEFA Cup final in 1987. So there was this rise of, of, of the new firm, as they were called, as well. And that obviously must have been putting a lot of pressure on both Rangers and Celtic.
1: Oh, absolutely. They were fresh um fresh ideas coming into the game with both Fergie uh, and Jim McLean, both of them with uh, great football brains. The the essential difference between them was that Fergie was a great motivator, huge motivator, whereas uh, Jim McLean was a brilliant, brilliant tactician. He didn't have the personality to match that, I, I hasten to add, but nevertheless, if you indulge in any conversation with Jim McLean, he would open your eyes up to how a game of football should be played. And Fergie, of course, as we all know, volatile, dynamic. Two different characters eventually getting success in different ways for their clubs. And you're dead right. This was a new challenge, a surprising challenge. And again, that caused for refreshed ideas.
0: Yeah, I think so so far we've talked about the football and the ramifications of it, right? And you must have known when you're writing such a book as this because you've you've got it into the title. It's more than a game. You have to look at wider society. And in a sense, if you don't mind me saying that you have kind of put your head above the parapet a wee bit here and moved out of the territory that you're normally uh, more associated with, which is basically the football, but the commentary on obvious signs like sectarianism and the politics, even up to, uh, I found it quite interesting. You know, you go into detail about some of the referendum that the, the gap from that as well and, and the way scotland yeah. has changed um mm-hmm. do you feel then that the sectarian element in scotland although it, it, it won't be eradicated we know that but do you feel it has modified or changed or is it is it dying away a wee bit or
1: well um <clears throat> in the process of this book i talked to a lot of people obviously involved in it and um there's a kind of yes and no to this. Yes, in the sense, logistically, stadiums are much better policed than they used to be. Mm-hmm. They're all seated state. I know that this sounds like a very basic thing, but it, it's, it's, it's nevertheless a value in the modern game. They can be policed mm-hmm. easily and, and so on. But attitude of mind, that's an entirely different thing. Yes. That's an... Entirely different, and if you hate if one if there's tribal hatred, which is what it is, between one and another, then it, it's almost um, it's almost as if they they stoke each other, uh-huh. and and in that sense, in many ways, that in that in that specific area of football, and in that old firm context not much has changed in society around it a lot has changed uh-huh. and 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 to a great extent has softened it now this is this hasn't been pasted onto the book artificially mm-hmm. everything in the book is essentially related to Hamden 1980 uh-huh because 1980 was the most dramatic manifestation of this sectarian hatreds that exist. And consequently, right right up to the last page of the book, there is not a direct reference, but there is a a narrative reference Uh to that kind of hatred, which is sadly endemic in Scottish society. So it's difficult to say, Things are infinitely better than they were when I was a boy. Mm-hmm. Infinitely better in all kinds of ways, and I, and very briefly, I tried to explain why I think that. But remember, I Jerry, I approached this not as a social as sociologist. Yes, far from that. But I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, forget the commentating side of it. I'm a writer. I was also a teacher, Yes. degrees in education. Uh-huh. I was involved in social matters, social issues as well. So I felt I, at least I had a slight authority to express some views mm-hmm. about divisions and sectarianism. Mm-hmm. And of course, we had the dramatic moments, which um, I relate to Hamden as well, because at the end of... The afternoon when I went down from the commentary platform and came across this core of police, I would say maybe half a dozen of the 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 top branch of yes. police looking utterly bemused. Mm-hmm. I mean, just what happened there? Yeah. And one man said to me, Well, he said in interview to me in many, many years later, um, Hamish McBean, who was in, who was the match commander that day, uh-huh. said at least, at least we didn't have a death, mm. thank God.
0: Miraculously.
1: And that's why I'll leap forward and center on a death, yes. the death of Mark Scott, the murder of yes. Mark Scott mm-hmm. at Bridge the and Cross. Um, because although we didn't have a death that day, we knew that potentially on, on occasions and depending on the circumstances, hatred could re- er- erupt like that. Mm-hmm. So again, that was a to Hamden. And in the final pages of the book, you, you mentioned the referendum, where I think some of that hatred spilled over mm-hmm. into the old firm setting, would you believe, which I try to explain uh, in the book. Yeah. And, the opposite, and, and the the divides that took place in our society.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. So I, I didn't paste it on artificially. It just came from thinking back to those occasions where I, I felt justifiably I could offer a point of view, whether it was accepted or not, I could mm-hmm. simply offer a point of view in these things.
0: Yeah, it's always an interesting thing. Actually, I've noticed in recent times, um, the last few years, that you go around the streets now and you see a lot of boys and girls with football tops on, but they're Real Madrid, Manchester City, Barcelona, cool. Liverpool. Um, a lot of kids now, when you speak to them, they don't so much follow a team, but they follow a player like Ronaldo or Messi. Yeah. Or likes. Yeah. That is, you, you briefly touch on that in the book. That's, that's a big dimension now, isn't it, as well?
1: Well, it is indeed, and it shows you the strength of television. I mean, people are sitting and watching some great players from uh, around the world, particularly Europe, and and you know, agonisingly England. Um, I think, by and large, I mean it, it, with my grandchildren, it's the same. Um, kids have two teams now; they have a Scottish team and they have an English team.
0: Yeah,
1: and. Uh, the English teams are probably being seen more, uh, more often because of television, um, than some of the Scottish teams. Not only that, it's a reflection on the league itself. Um, the league in Scotland, frankly, is not as competitive as it is has done. So where, where you have, okay, Liverpool ran away with it this time. Mm-hmm. Or you have uh, Liverpool, Manchester City, Um, not Manchester United for a while but they'll come back Um, and uh, uh, Chelsea you know whereas Uh Celtic have dominated uh, the Scottish League as Rangers did during their run as well so it's not as competitive so there's great challenges being seen on television and it breeds success and, and kids like to identify with success Yes. And that's why they picked the colours. I remember going to a a, a cup tie at Easter Road. And um, I went with um, uh, my grandchildren, Scottish cup tie. I think we were playing East Fife or something like that. As I went down Easter Road itself towards the stadium, Mm -hmm. um, I didn't see a... a, 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 There were supporters there with Scarswell. But there were kids in bites with, as you say, Barcelona. Manchester United. These things were there. And it's a big challenge to Scottish football, that um, yes, there will be allegiances through family and and so on, but it's a big attraction though. English football in particular is a big big attraction to kids.
0: Yes, because a lot of kids, as you say, are getting their football through television and through Xbox, uh, FIFA Pro, all that sort of stuff rather than being taken to the game. But I wonder if that's a symptom of the fact that it's so expensive now, even to go it's sometimes okay. to a, a championship game in Scotland. Uh, well, you and, I, in.
1: you and I waltz into games largely free. You know, I've, done, I've, done Cause we're yeah, I've done 50 years of it getting in free. And you, you tend to forget what it costs a family to take these two kids to a football match, gets the season tickets and then picks. It's a huge amount. A huge amount. So, um, and yes, they, they they become housebound in many ways for the football. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's a huge challenge, particularly if you're getting games coming on on a Saturday at lunchtime and a Saturday at tea time. Yes. And Scottish football is wedged in beside, yes, we have lunchtime kickoffs as well and so on. But I'm talking about outside the old firm, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. That's a big attraction for people to stay in, and from let's say from about November to, to the end of February, mm-hmm. a cold Scottish winter, it's, it's tempting just to stay and and pick up two games probably two good games from England.
0: So, if that rise of first of all Rangers and then Celtic, shall we say, in the aftermath, a few years after the, the Hamden riot, as we'll say, sure. uh, changed. Scottish football so much. Do you think now we're in a situation where we cannot produce another Aberdeen, another London United, someone to take the league title?
1: I think it's very difficult. I think it's about, it, it always was, Jerry, as you know, about money. It was always yep. about money. And because the old firm was stronger and financially stronger than the rest, they had that huge advantage. There's only one club with that kind of status now, and that's Celtic. Um, and Rangers would probably come next to that although still a distance off that so as a result money is just not going to come into these clubs and we don't develop youth the way that we, we did in the past hopefully we, we might get there might be a club out there there might be another Dundee United there might be something there where they don't need to worry too much in two or three years Winning things but developing the kids. But the paradox is as soon as they develop them, they sell them yeah. just to survive. So it's a vicious circle that way. So I, I, I hate to sound very pessimistic, but it's good to stay the same way. Uh, I, I don't see anybody breaking through into the higher ranks. Although, having said that, Jerry, what kind of league are we going to have in the future anyway?
0: Well, that's the big
1: issue. We don't get football shortly. There are clubs going to go out of existence. You take you take Kilmarnock, they've they they've got twelve players left. Yeah. They've got twelve players left. And if you take a club, let's just pluck one uh let's say Falkett. Yeah. Falkett uh, or Dundee, who'll still be in the division. If they can't get crowds, if if it's going to be played behind closed doors, in fact that, that just sen- sounds ludicrous because they can't survive. Uh-huh. These are clubs These are clubs that need money through the gates. They don't have the kind of sponsorship and the big deals that um, the big two have. So it's, uh, it's about what kind of league are we going to actually going to have? Yeah. Let, me, let me say that um, uh, we really need to keep in mind now not a not a complete franchise system, uh-huh. but, but bear in mind those clubs who can put supporters through turnstiles. I think Hart's loss to the game is a serious one. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's a they've got a big support, royal uh-huh. support, and and so on, and. I just do not like the idea of a major club like that virtually going out. Go, uh, maybe even going out of no, they won't go out of existence, but who knows? Yeah, it's a huge financial blow to them and so on.
0: Well, anything's up for grabs now, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but... I, I mean, years ago, for example, the Ian Livingston, the Motherwell director, he was Motherwell chairman at the time said to me not in a football setting by the way I was in his lawyer's office he happened to be the the firm that dealt with my legal affairs and so on and he said to me just as a a way going out the door he said oh by the way if mother will go down we're finished I said what do you mean he said no no we we couldn't this is way back in the 70s he said if we go down with Clyde Bank who was in the league at that time and that will date it for you he said we're finished we wouldn't be able to We'll get resistant, and he didn't say that as a plea to me. As I said, the context was he just had to say that out of the door. So I started to write, but I had a column at the time. I think it was in the Sunday Mail, and Ali Cameron and I did a, a kind of, "Are we going to let mother will die?" A club in the central belt of Scotland, mm-hmm. easy access for the big clubs: Hearts, Hibs, Rangers, Celtic. Yeah. And, uh, Keep the franchise system in mind, mm-hmm. even though they might be, deserve to be relegated and so on. Well, they were saved. They were saved, I think, because of the publicity that a lot was given to that, and mm-hmm. they were saved by the old firm. The old yeah. firm saved because they brought in brought in league reconstruction, put Motherwell out of business. We we pack for park. Mm. Celtic Rangers said, "We take our supporters there," as opposed mm-hmm. to a, a, here you ought to be frank as opposed to ross county you know that sort of idea yeah so we've got to keep in mind which clubs are we going to going to try and save
0: yeah for the benefit
1: of everybody
0: quite frightening actually i think in a wider sense let's just talk about this for a wee second if you don't mind um at the risk of being sounding like a bit of an old fogey i do tend to rant on Twitter when, you know, big companies go on about the Premiership and who's been the best player in English football in the last 20-odd years or whatever. And this, the, prem, the English Premiership is a particular brand of monster, in a sense. Um, I'm going to put it to you directly. Do you think the football that you watched, commentated on um, and enjoyed was of a better brand than what we have now yes. in England and Scotland?
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. The game, the game was infused with great personalities. Uh, forget the old film for a, a moment. Just think of the players that emerged into the Scottish team from the so-called provinces. Yes. Uh, there were three players for every position that could be picked for a Scottish team. Some players, one comes to mind just now, Peter Cormack was a great player for Hebs. Yes. Um, uh, Tosh McKinley was a very good uh, example of that. Mm -hmm. He said he he was watched when he was playing for the Hearts and he said, uh, I remember one particular game, he said that that was rave reviews in the press. Mm -hmm. Rave reviews in the press. But I didn't get picked for Scotland until I went to Celtic. Mm -hmm. In other words, there is a, a kind of tunnel vision um, uh, no, perhaps now throughout all the time, that's a common theme that it was the the old firm that was looked upon firstly,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and there were great personalities. Uh, tactics then began to to take over. Um, methodology took over instead of instinctive uh, flair. Mm-hmm. For example, the team that. Um, Celtic had that played in Lisbon was built on individual flair, really attacking flair, mm-hmm. um, and uh, against a, a a defensive guru. Um, but these these players came to mind uh, all the time. The quality of football that was played, uh, not just uh, with the big two, but uh, anywhere: Motherwell, hebbs Hearts, uh, Aberdeen. Uh, that spread isn't there any longer.
0: Are you attracted to watching the modern game?
1: Uh, well, I like football.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I like football. I watch boys playing in the street, to be perfectly honest with you. So, in that sense, I'm a, I'm a fundamentalist. I just love a game of football. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think the, the hope resides in my mind. Well, I've, I've put in the book. That I, I, I'm almost um, selfish in thinking I'll never see the likes of Jinky Johnson or Jim Baxter again. Uh-huh. I just don't think these players will emerge because they came from an environment of hunger to play the game, playing in the mm-hmm. street, playing in the close, playing wee heatis in the close, playing around the backyards and so on. That doesn't exist any longer. No. Children, children, frankly, are in much better environments than they were in those days, when football was a means of getting out of it. Um, so, no, I, I, I'm not being pessimistic. I just think we went through a glorious pe- period that produced players like this, and I'm not sure that they'll ever be seen again.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, I'm glad you brought up the book. I thought we may make it back to that just for finish on this. <laughs> Um, where does this book? I've already mentioned that you wrote The Life and Times of Jimmy Johnson, you wrote Adventures in the Golden Age, a wonderful read about Scotland from 1974 and 1998. You have written the definitive book uh, for myself and many people on Jock Steen. Where, where do you feel this book sits in the Archie Macpherson canon? Well, um, it's a book, have you, you compare it
1: to the Jock Steen book. Jock Steen the book I wrote about Steen came out of the blue in the sense that a publisher phoned me. Uh, in fact, it was a journalist who's a writer himself who'd been asked to write the Jobstein book. Alan Montgomery, I don't mind you giving you his name. He was a big name in Beat Street, wrote for the Sun and so on, wrote uh, Terry Venable's book, etc. And he said, they've come to me and he said, but I don't know anything about Steen and, and so on. Would you, do you care um, writing a book about him? Now my first reaction was reluctance. I thought to myself, "This was in 2002. Mm-hmm. so the J- J- joke had long gone." Obviously, sadly, since, since then. I thought, "Wait a minute, have I missed a generation here? Is it is it just too late?"
0: Yeah. And then I,
1: I overcame my own reluctance and and uh, got right into it. And that was a book that it was very enjoyable to write because it's a, fa- a kind of fairy story, it's a, a, a story really, it's a romance about yes. an ex miner, an ex miner who made good in his own mm-hmm. special way. It yeah. can be read that way and, and it gave me the opportunity to look at what Scottish society was like because it's not just about steam, mm-hmm. it's about the background he came from, it's about the football culture, divisions, Mm -hmm. and um, and about uh, a man who crossed the divide, taught us a lot in doing so. Uh, And so that that was a romantic book in many ways. Mm -hmm. This book is a hard nut. This is a harder book, dealing with issues, which a lot of people don't like. In fact, a lot of people wouldn't want to touch with a barge pole, to be perfectly honest. So in that sense, um, it, it doesn't rank with the, the, the Steam book in, in, in personal involvement. Mm-hmm. But in many ways, I think my... You're asking me about the book, I've got to be honest. The personal triumph for me in the book is the structure
0: in mm-hmm. having
1: taken one single day and written 90,000 words around that day. I would
0: agree that, with you.
1: That, that I, I feel quite proud of.
0: Yeah, you should, because as I said, I tried to imagine when you told me quite a while ago that you were doing this, I just tried to wonder, how how is your narrative going to work with that? Actually, I've got to say, the book for me, it's colourful, it's informative, thought-provoking, and as usual with you, it's just a cracking good reader. I wish you all the best with it. How can people get the book in this particular moment of lockdown? Well, the, the, if they go to LUATH,
1: L-U-A-T-H, that's the book publisher in Edinburgh, and go into their website, you can get it that way. You can certainly get it in Amazon. If they go into the internet, you can get it in all kinds of different ways now, with bargains and uh, and so on. Uh, and you can also ask for an autographed one, which I've done uh, for some people. If you can phone Lewath, I don't have their number uh, with me, but you, you can get it easily, the Lewath Publishers Edinburgh, Uh, and you can get it direct from them and um, sadly you know it's it's just (laughs) it's unfortunate that we've no bookshops open and the people are locked in people are losing money and so on but I I think my satisfaction is actually completing it that was the main thing for me
0: well Archie it's a wonderful book. I wish you all the best with it. I thoroughly enjoy reading it and thanks for joining us on Football CFP. So we'll dive down to the ocean and we'll make her home in a deep sea cave and our shells will all be open. They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song. We'll dive down to the ocean and we'll make her home in a deep sea cave and our shells will all I'll be filled with song, I'll be filled with song